Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Hey, we're here today with Dr. Caroline Klaus Ellers, and we're talking about how to connect with your teenagers and teach them important life lessons through cooking and food. Dr. Klaus Ellers is an award-winning psychologist, and she's internationally known for her research and writing focused on supporting children, adolescents, and their families. She's also a professor at Long Island University, Brooklyn. She teamed up with her husband, Julian, who is a professional chef, to create a book of recipes and activities specifically for families to do together. The book is called Eating Together, Being Together, Recipes, Activities, and Advice from a Chef Dad and Psychologist Mom. Caroline, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was clearly a lot of work, this book. It's beautiful. The book is Being Together, Recipes, Activities, and Advice from a Chef Dad and Psychologist Mom. It's beautifully illustrated and it's packed with a lot of great stuff in here that clearly spent a lot of time putting together what inspired it. What inspired it is my husband is a professional chef and I'm a psychologist. And even more important, we have three children now ages six to 19. So the activities are really developmental. We call them young helpers to grown up helpers. So young helpers are toddlers Uh, and early school. And then we have preteen and teen helpers. And then grown up helpers are grown ups. So during the pandemic, my husband as a chef was unemployed as many people were. And it really was the most time that we had ever spent together because his schedule has always been pretty intense. And we, the book started, the ideas started way before the pandemic, but the pandemic really, because we were together as a family so much, helped us kind of think through how we could present recipes and these ideas in a way that could be helpful for parents and that were helpful for us too, and helpful for kids. Yeah, I like it because it really does bring together the psychology of what your kids are going through and also the food component. And there's something about connecting over food is so human and families. It's just something that we do. It's really natural. And I think that's also something really powerful about what you've done here is taking something that we're already doing together, but really made it a lot more intentional. You're talking about how you can kind of explore different issues with your kids through food and through the process of making different foods and have sort of suggestions about not just, hey, add two cups of flour, but really sort of a deeper level, which is really cool. But that just evolved naturally in your family from having your background in psychology and your husband's culinary background just melding together or where did that come from? That's a great question. I think it came from really just trying to figure things out as parents yeah. And just to be fully transparent, I am really not that good in the kitchen and <laughs> I'm not that good of a chef. 
So I kind of needed some help. And then we just started thinking about how our kids and our two oldest are 17 and 19 now. They've always been in the kitchen and cooking and how that's been a way for us to connect with them. And now our youngest, he's six. He loves mixing and cooking. And there's so much math and cooking that kids learn. And so it really just was a way for us to kind of think through what we were living and experiencing. Obviously, you found these things that were so helpful for you and your family. You wanted to share them with other people. What have you heard from other families about like using some of these recipes and activities in their families? Yeah. So what we've been hearing is that it's been really helpful for families to think about that this is not a book about getting it perfect. It's a book about mm. the process and the experience. So I'm really glad you mentioned the illustrations and I appreciate you're doing that we intentionally didn't have photographs because photographs are beautiful however for this kind of book it would suggest like what you make has to look a certain way at the Mm, end of it and in fact some of the illustrations it's like let's show the mess in this Life is messy and parenting is messy and being a kid is messy. And so what we've been hearing is it's okay. You have permission Mm -hmm. to explore and make mistakes and not be perfect and learn from that. Something you talk about in the book, which I thought was really cool, is called the Haven model. Yeah. Okay, which is hearing with no agenda, anticipating the moment, validation, validating empathy, and not jumping in to solve a problem. I like that a lot. Are these things that you would do in order or are these things you would do kind of like all at the same time? Sure. Well, I'm really glad that you mentioned that model that we talk about in the book. And we put that in the chapter on meat and chicken recipes. When we think about meat and chicken, we think about that being kind of like a foundational kind of food that families Mm, eat. Yeah. What parenting skill is foundational, especially for teens and preteens? And that skill is listening. And so the Haven model is a model to really help us and encourage us to work on our listening skills. And look, I will be the first to say as a mom of two teens and a six-year-old, we're going to get it wrong sometimes. Yeah, right. But it's that we're trying. And so, for example, the first part of the model, hearing with no agenda, is really about oftentimes it's human nature. When our kids or someone's talking to us, we have an idea, right? So like the example in the book is your teen is saying, I want to take a gap year. This is really important to me. And you as a parent have your own agenda. and You say, wait, that's not what we planned for. That's not what we've been working for you've got good grades you can get into great schools now that's the parents agenda 
And so mm -hmm. what that's going to do is potentially create a disconnect between your teen's experience and what you're saying. And so it's hard to do because, of course, we have our own ideas. But hearing with no agenda is really just taking a step back to really hear that experience. So tell me more about that. What's making you think you want to do the gap year? And of course, you can share your experiences. Oh, I'm surprised. It just feels like something different. I want to understand. I want to be curious and understand. Yeah, yeah, really. But the focus really is like on understanding and just trying to make sure that you really hear them. And I love that intention, that clear intention is really powerful, I think. They yeah. can feel that. And it's hard to do. So this kind of framework mm. is just to help yeah. remind us. Well, but no, I think it is because so much of the time we're listening, but really our intention is really just that we're listening so that we can navigate the conversation to this other thing. So we can yeah. move on to the point that we really want to make and talk about the thing that we really want to talk about. Yeah. And so that is, I think, is one of the hardest things to do. Yeah. yeah. In doing that, and again, that's human nature and we have our own ideas, but we miss these great opportunities to really hear where yeah. our kids are at and what their ideas are for themselves. And for teens, yeah. identity is just a key developmental task during adolescence. And so hearing where your teen is at can be really supporting that identity development. For right. Them. And because it's changing so quickly that we have to be constantly tuned in. We can't assume that we know what they're feeling or thinking or how they're thinking about themselves or others because that's what it was six months ago. Because <laughs> right. what are they feeling now? It might be changing. Yeah, absolutely. And then your question about sort of the model, like, is this an order? Is this each point? Does it need to come in an order? And I would say, no, that these are just kind of yeah, okay. a toolkit yeah, okay. that we can pull from in our communications. When you're talking about validation, you talk about DBT, dialectical yeah. behavioral therapy. Yeah. So validation is really used a lot in the DBT approach, which was developed by Marsha Linehan. And validation can be tricky because you may not agree with something. And this is what the DBT approach talks about. Your teen may say, oh, I'm so upset because I failed the exam. And you may know as a parent, well, you didn't study at all for the exam. So it's tricky, but the DBT approach helps us, I think, understand that complexity that you can say, you can validate. It sounds hard and it sounds like you're upset about not getting the grade that you wanted. And I also understand that maybe next time we can think about studying more. So it's yeah. supporting, but tricky because you might not necessarily agree. I see. Yeah. That's the whole point of it is like being able to exist in that gray space kind of where supporting, but also not agreeing. And how do you do that? Yeah. And it's that two realities can both exist and both be correct in the sense that one's not more right than the other. Both experiences can exist.
And is that as simple as really just verbalizing both of those things that this isn't what you would hope or want, but that you really do support them and going through it and want to be a resource for them? What kind of language would you use, you think, for a situation like that? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think the language is to really try to speak to both experiences. Totally, and- yeah validate both experiences and let both experiences exist. So maybe the language would be something like identifying what those experiences are. And then of Mm. course, trying to have a conversation about the feelings around those experiences. Like, how are you feeling that you're not happy with your test result? Or what is that like for you? So I think to open up the conversation to talk about feelings is another way we can use language to kind of talk about those complicated situations. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Getting to talk about how they feel about what happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Absolutely. That's what's powerful about all this is that we're nuanced human beings and our emotions aren't black and white. And a lot of times we do exist in that space between. And so that's really helpful to talk about. Yeah. And we talk about in the book how the kitchen is a space that can be really a convener and a connector for families. And so the second part of the model, the A, anticipating the moment, is really where parents, aka grown-up helpers, can just be around and be Mm. sort of aware that, hmm, my teen doesn't really want to talk to me, but maybe if I'm just here and something is on their mind, maybe it will sort of organically come to the front of the conversation. And the kitchen is a great tool to Mm. help anticipate the moment. So one of the examples that we talk about in the book is my oldest started college last year. And it was the summer right before her freshman year, it was August, she was going to be leaving. And she was making this chocolate banana nut bread for her grandfather. Yeah, it's really good. And she wanted to make enough to freeze so that every time we saw him, we would bring one to him and say this was from her. It was very sweet. I'm not going to lie. We do have some frozen this year. Same. We have some frozen chocolate banana nut bread. We overshot. We overshot a little bit. You mean on the. uh, the, Oh, no. She made more this year. She did the same thing. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. That's that's funny. Um, (laughs) And she was doing it with her younger brother. They were cooking together and I was just around. And just by kind of being around, she kind of. She was talking with her brother because he was going to miss her. And then we were kind of talking about the process. And that wasn't anything that was planned. Mm. That didn't come out of, how are you feeling about going to college? It was just, oh, you're making chocolate banana nut bread. Hmm." One thing that you talk about in the book that I thought was really cool is how sometimes when our brains are in a little bit of a fog or be feeling forgetful or our days aren't kind of going how we wish they would 
And you have a section here about how during adolescence, different parts of your brain, specifically the part that deals with emotion and thinking, are still learning how to communicate with one another. And you say in the book that talking about it can bring relief, talking to a trusted grown-up helper or friend about what's upsetting you. So I was curious as that trusted grown-up helper or friend, what to think about for those kind of conversations. Yeah. So we have a lot of research now about brain development and our brains are developing until like our mid twenties, 24, 25. And so the part for adolescents and the adolescent brain that is also continuing to develop is the connections in the brain around thinking and emotion. And so it can be really hard to make decisions. And The part of the book that talks about having one trusted grown-up helper that you can talk to, one trusted adult you can talk to, there's a lot of research that shows that that really supports resilience, that it's really, it's not the quantity of people, but it's the quality. And that you have one person that you know you can go to, that that can Mm. provide an enormous sense of security and comfort. Yeah. Uh, as a teenager, sometimes feelings can be so overwhelming. There's a tendency to isolate, be alone. You might think no one understands you, no one understands what you're going through or experiencing, and encouraging them to talk to someone, grown up, helper about what's upsetting them. So, how can we facilitate a conversation like that if we feel like our teenager is, like you're saying, isolating and feeling down or alone? Yeah. And the sort of a context for this is that the pandemic from data that the pandemic led to an increase in depression and anxiety among youth that was like Mm. a 50% increase globally. And the pandemic, when we think about adolescent identity development and the importance of peers, this is the time when friends and friendships are so important. And then kids had to stay home and had to isolate at home to be safe. And now what I'm hearing from a lot of parents and teens is that it's great to be back at school, but it's also hard to be back at school because there was time lost in developing those social skills and developing those friendships. Some people talk about sort of the social anxiety they have about interacting in the school or social anxiety experiences of weight gain during COVID just because we were at home so much. And so people have feelings about that. But your question about as parents, how can we sort of connect with our kids and sort of be aware of the isolation? And from this book's perspective, I would say that cooking together is a way to kind of do that or eating together or the activities. So for instance, there's a apple cider recipe in there and Mm. one of the activities, yeah, it's really good. It's really good and surprisingly easier to make than it sounds like you think apple cider. That sounds really hard to make. It's surprisingly easier to make than you think. But one of the activities is go to a farmer's market together and get apples or go to an apple orchard together. Yeah. That time together, whether it's in the car or on the subway or whatever transportation yeah. you use, 
yeah. can be a nice kind of capsule, a nice way to get those conversations started. And sometimes our kids don't necessarily want to talk with us. You yeah. may know that by their body language, but they want us around. Mm. So it's okay just to be in a shared space together also. And it doesn't mean that you failed if you didn't talk about something deep and have a huge breakthrough and cry in each other's arms or something. Um, there is value to spending that time together. Yeah, absolutely. No failure at all. You are sharing the space, you're sharing the time, and that creates a foundation for the next time, the next time that you're together and you're communicating without even saying it. And we talk about saying things without saying them. You're communicating that you are there when there is a time that your teen wants to open up to you. You're there. You're ready. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Apple cider sounds good. Sounds like a fun weekend activity. It's a fun weekend activity. We are in apple picking season. No, it's perfect time of year. Yeah. <laughs> Just thinking the Great same time thing. of year. I've had so many important conversations in the car with my kids. Mm. Like just I'm driving and then just stuff comes up in the car. So you can have whole conversation on your way to the Mm -hmm. apple orchard. Or if you don't have a car, going on the subway to the farmer's market or walking to your Mm -hmm. local farmer's market. There's lots of opportunity there for conversation. Just being ready to have those conversations. We're here today with Dr. Caroline Klaus-Ellers talking about how to connect with teenagers and teach them important life lessons through food. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. The teen activity is to squash those whole plum tomatoes. And every time you squash those tomatoes, you get out of frustration or something you're upset about. Mm. I asked my son if he wanted to do it. He did not want to do it. He didn't want to squash the tomatoes. Fine. No problem. So I did. Wash your hands first. I did it. And I'm telling you, it was like that was very cathartic. Your teen may very well say, please don't do that, mom. That would be like really cringy and embarrassing. And so to not necessarily have a solution, but to say, oh, this is so painful. It really is unfortunate. And it really is so sad. And at the same time, you got to go to school. And so what are some ways that we can try to help you manage some of the dynamics in the classroom? It's never too late to start the process with your teen. And one way is not putting on chores or making it seem like a chore, but say, hey, what would you like to cook together? Or what would you like to make together? Yeah, give them some agency. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I loved your story that you said your dad was like, oh, we have this butternut squash. What can we do with it? And you're like, oh, here's the rest. I just got a cookbook. I'm interviewing this lady. (laughs) Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.